0: God's words for God's people. And these ten words that we've been looking at that you're probably familiar with, that you would probably misquote if I asked you to talk about them, that's what we're walking through and diving headlong into. Last week, our big idea was this, Jesus is your salvation and your Sabbath. Rest in and rely upon him. You might recall our theme for this series is that God has called you to himself, to your neighbor, and in these Ten Commandments, he shows us our need for a redeemer. And we're going to see that today as well. Now, I will admit the big idea for this week is a little bit clunky, okay? It's a little bit hard to remember right off the top of my head, and I'm sure it would be for you as well. Because of Jesus, God is our Father, and we can now properly honor our parents and authority. Kian has learned this word properly, and he walks around the house saying it all the time. And so I tried to find a better word, but that's the only thing I could come up with. Because of Jesus, God is our Father, and we can now properly honor our parents and authorities. You might also remember that each and every week we've been looking at the commandments that are given... From the negative point of view, do not do this. And yet this week, it's given from a positive perspective. Honor your father and your mother. And not only that, we're going to read from the Apostle Paul here. It's the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and your mother. So let's dive down into the text just a little bit. Um, Because we want to see some differences that are coming out of the text at us this morning. And then we're going to, I'm, I'm going to need you to really pay attention, okay? Because I'm going to be jumping through God's word this morning, all right? So I'm going to need you to pay attention. We're going to start off in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So a couple of observations that we should make straight away out of this passage is that honoring your father and mother can lead to Your days being long in the land that God is gifting to you. Okay, so just a simple observation, all right? We want to read the text and let it stand and speak for itself. Let's move on to Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord God commanded you, that your days may be long. And that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now there's some differences there. One of the reasons why there is a difference is because that this is the second time that the Ten Commandments have been given out to God's people. And so Moses is reminding them, reminding them right before Joshua is going to take them into the land. And he's saying, now remember what you were taught before. But not just that you would live long in the land, he adds something else here, and that it may go well with you in the land. What's the differences? Why is there a difference? Well, one of the reasons why we have a difference here is because now they're no longer out in exile, wandering in the wilderness, right? They're actually preparing to go into the land. And God's reminding them this isn't just a gift to you and I do want you to live long in the land but I also want your time there to go well with you. In fact, if we wanted to just slide in another word there I hope it's good for you. In fact, I desire that you would be obedient to my law so that the land would be good. Now, if that word good echoes you back to anything, good. We're thinking about creation here, right? God's creating. He's got Adam and Eve in a place that He has made for them, that He has provided for them. And what does He say? It's good. It's very good. So, as we consider what God wants for His people, it's not going to be Eden. It's not going to be Eden. It's not going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That comes later. But what he does want it to be is to be a picture of what a piece of land (laughs) given by God to his chosen people who are under his authority can be like. It can be like them experiencing the fullness of salvation blessings to them. We use this phrase often. God's people in God's place under God's authority experiencing the fullness of His blessing. And we don't just talk about this when it comes to God's first people finally getting to go into the land. Um, We see this as a picture of what's going on throughout all of Scripture. It's a thread that helps us to tie together everything that's happening in the biblical text. How it starts. How God is going to cause it to end and what that is going to look like for you and for me. And even though there's differences along the way, the idea is generally the same. It's God's people in God's place under his authority experiencing the fullness of his blessings. So we've already talked about the garden, right? And we've already alluded to the fact that God is giving uh, Abraham's people here, or at least Abraham's direct descendants, not all of his people yet, a piece of land to go and be on. And there, he says, I will be your king and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. He wants them to live in a certain way and he gives them this law so that they will do just that. And yet later on in the biblical story, we see that God's people get removed from the land. And even when they do come back to the land, it's not the same. They're not experiencing the fullness of the blessings like they once hoped that they would. There's something missing. What they need is a Redeemer. Going forward, we see Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples, he echoes everything that the prophets say, he expounds, he teaches to them these commandments, these words, and he looks forward also to a day when he will be reigning over all of his people. When we think about the church, even though it's a very small glimpse and sometimes an ugly glimpse of this, What we have here on a very small scale, on a local scale, is a group of people that have been called together by God, experiencing the fullness of his salvific blessings, if we wanted to say it like that. Here we are as a group of people that if you know Christ as your Savior, he is your savior if you understand that he died for your sins that he made you whole complete and righteous through jesus he is your savior and you experience blessing in that one of the blessings that we have as the church and as a church is the ability to experience unity in diversity that we can be united That in Christ, by Christ, and that we can be very different from one another all at the same time. But as a church, both during the Advent season and each and every week that we come to the Lord's table, we look forward to a time when all wrong things are made right. All the sadness comes untrue. All the sin is fully removed when the heavens and the earth are made brand new and we are all experiencing the complete fullness of every good and perfect gift that God wants to give to us in a new heavens and in that new earth under the authority of Jesus. So with that said, let's look quick at Ephesians chapter 6, because if we just read Exodus and we just read Deuteronomy, we'd be missing a big piece of what's going on here. That is to say, what Paul is doing in Ephesians is similar to what Jesus does throughout, uh, for instance, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where he gives God's law And then he says, you've heard it said like this, but now I say to you this. He doesn't add to it. What he does is he explains it more fully. And this is what Paul is doing for us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I love this because, frankly, if we just read Exodus and we just read Deuteronomy, Paul simply states for us right at the very beginning what is expected of our children, you and I as children, okay, is that we obey our parents in the Lord. What is this little in the Lord phrase here? What does this mean? Because that's not in the original. What are we talking about here? What we're talking about is we are to obey them because they are gifts given to us from God. Now, for some of us in the room, that's going to be hard to, one, understand or hard to hear, or you're just closing your ears right now because you don't want to hear that parents are a gift to us. Because maybe your parents weren't a gift to you. Maybe they were a curse to you. And that is true. That can happen. And it's awful when it happens. And Paul addresses that here in just a second. And we'll come back to it in a minute as well. Honor your father and mother, quoting from Exodus and Deuteronomy. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, for those of you that had parents that were a curse to you and not a blessing, here we see what Paul is saying a parent should be. Not using the discipline and instruction of their own might and their own authority, but they too, not just the children, need to understand that they are a gift given by God to their children. And a discipline of violence and an instruction of selfishness are not what God desires for a parent to be doing. Instead, it is supposed to be the discipline and instruction of the Lord. (laughs) I don't know whose shoe that is. (laughs) Um, We... Could definitely look at this from just a simple perspective of wisdom, from the simple perspective of wisdom. For instance, uh, in Proverbs chapter one, verse eight, which interestingly enough, the whole first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are words of wisdom written from a father to a son. It's actually a manual given to the fathers of Israel to teach to their sons, or to get help teaching to their sons. And it says this, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Or Proverbs 6.20, these are all Echoing the command, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Listen to your father, Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Women, we do not talk about you in that way, just for the record. But also we see elsewhere in Proverbs what happens when we do not do those things. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Sorrow. Sadness. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. I'm just reading several different Proverbs. A wise son makes a glad father. Okay, good. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. <laughs> Whoever robs his father or his mother says, that is no transgression, is a is a companion to a man um, is a companion to a man who destroys. And then lastly, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. (laughs) Disobedience to a father and mother lead to death. They lead to death. So now as we look back, to these passages that we've already addressed. We want to be asking a couple of questions here. Um, Well, what's commanded? What, What does it actually say? I think we've stated that. Who are the people involved in this commandment? Well, first of all, we have a child or children, right? So one of the people involved in this commandment is a child, And we see the responsibility of a child, the duty of a child, and that is to honor their parents. One theologian, in expressing the depth of this word honor in the Hebrew, says this. Speaking of the whole command, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but rather we honor them. Serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Honor, serve and obey, love and cherish. And so we see what a child is to do. And we see that if this child does that, they live long in the land. Now, oftentimes this verse has been taken to mean that you will live an old age. Uh, Actually, that could be. However, there are evil people that live to an old age as well. So, so what are we actually talking about here? Um, well, we're talking about the fact that, yes, this could lead to an older age. It could just mean that you don't die ignorant as well. That you die long enough to hear God's good words to you. More specifically, for God's first people, Israel, what it meant for them is that, look, if you follow these commands, it will go well with you in the land. If you follow all that I've laid out for you, you will have a good relationship with your father and your mother, which means your household is going to be good. If you follow these other commands that your parents are going to teach to you, your relationship with your neighbor will be good. That means your community, your tribe, your culture, your street, it's going to be good. And if each and every parent does this, and if each and every parent, and if each and every child is obedient to it, um, this also means that God, who was going to be, who was supposed to be their king in the land, all would be obedient to Him as well, and that the country would be secure, and at peace with itself. Now we all know how that works out for them, right? But what does this mean for you and I today? Because Paul does echo this. What does it mean to live long in the land? Although it could mean long life, that is, when you tell a child don't cross the road without looking both ways, right? They won't get hit by a car, Whereas if they disobey that, they will get hit by a car. This is something that I'm having to teach Kian every time he walks out into the street right now. Now, if he is not obedient to me, he will not live long in this land, okay? However, on a much less surface level, what this also means is that if you obey your father and your mother in the Lord, seeing them as a gift from the Lord, and you're hearing other words from God, his word, you will be saved because of Christ, and because of that, you will live forever with Him, and it will go well with you. But in this is also parents, and namely fathers. Parents, but namely fathers. What I read to you earlier was um, a passage from Martin Luther's Smaller Catechism. It's a teaching tool, a catechism. And what he was, at the beginning of each thing, he says, at the beginning of each command, he says, fathers, teach it to your children in this way. Teach it to your household in this way. Interestingly enough, uh, he was one of the first pastors uh, to... Have written something like that that had children, legitimately, (laughs) that took care of his children. Which is why it's so unique that he would write, Fathers, say this to your children, teach them in this way. When you open up the Ten Commandments, tell them this about it. And he does this because he sees the importance of fathers. Not to say that they're more important than mothers, but they do have a specific role in leading. The role specifically, he sees it, and I think that we see throughout Scripture, is that a father is a representative from God in the household. What I mean by this is that the father is supposed to be as imperfect as we know that all fathers are, as good of a picture of a good and caring father, i.e. God, that we all have. A father in the home is supposed to be a representative and a picture of that good and caring and complete and perfect father, God. But we also see here that we already read in Ephesians, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I provoke my children to anger each and every day. When I say, put your shoes away. When I say, clean your room. When I say... Okay, I'll stop there. There's lots of them. I didn't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, (laughs) They might listen to this in future years. Um, And here's the deal. It doesn't mean that you don't tell your children what to do, all right? I was reading a hilarious article this week, The Ten Commandments of Modern Parenting. I do this sometimes, okay? And you've probably heard it as well. A child does something wrong, and you say to the child, child... Do you think that that was a good idea? Yes, the child does think that it is a good idea, or else the child wouldn't do it, right? (laughs) So many people go into this world with the idea, go into this, this role of parenting with the idea that my child is going to be perfect, and sin is not going to touch them, and I'm going to try to keep sin from touching them. Interestingly enough, echoing Luther again, he says, children come out sinful. The only problem is they don't have the strength or ability to act upon their sinful nature. Not yet, anyway. And so what are we talking about here when we're talking about not provoking your children to anger? Well, in these modern Ten Commandments of of being a parent, he was pattering it after these ten, the, the Ten Commandments, and the author was saying this: "Don't you think that you should keep the Lord's name holy? <coughs> Imagine if you receive that commandment, right? Don't you think that murdering is a bad thing to do with your hands? Don't you think that you should share with your neighbor instead of neighbor instead of stealing from them? And the child will always say, "No, I want what I want, right? And yet, when we parent our children like that, <laughs> when we parent our children like that, I know it's awful. When we parent our children like that, what we do is we don't bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We bring them up in their own discipline and in their own instruction. Hanania, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> And inevitably, what we're actually going to do when we do that is that we're going to give our children what they want. And when we give them what we want, you know what we do? We provoke them to anger. Because it's going to be later in life when they're out in the world and they can't make a relationship work because they don't know how to love their neighbor as their self. They don't know how to love their brother and sister as themselves, their father and mother as themselves. It's going to be when they're out working in a job and all they can think about is themselves and everyone at work hates them and it's a miserable work environment. Or they get a roommate and they keep stealing the roommate's toothpaste, okay? They're going to get out into the world and they're going to think that they own the world. And then one day they're going to turn around and everyone is going to be one of two things. Hating them or also be a hateful person that is running with them, like we read about in the Proverbs, and they're going to be angry with their parents. Which is why the Lord disciplines us. Because He says, I don't want you to go out into this world selfish." I don't want you to go out into this world defaming my name. I don't want you to go out into this world murdering and stealing and not keeping this day of the week set aside for worship because one day you're going to turn around and your life is going to be an utter mess. You will have no rest or you will have rest all the time. You will be hated or you will be hating. You will be selfish and you will be thinking only about your bottom line as we read about in Isaiah this morning. What was going on? They were so busy fasting. People were, God's people were so busy fasting that those people that were also supposed to be having a day of rest <laughs> were being abused. Why? Because they turned away from God's instruction and His discipline. Now, I say this in the most loving way possible. I have a great dad, and I look at my childhood, and I still have to look at my dad and say, he did the best that he could with the tools that he had. He just didn't have all the tools that he needed. And I don't despise him for that. I don't hate him for that. Because I know, and I see in myself right now, that I don't have all the tools necessary to give my children everything that they need. Which is also why my dad raised me at his, uh, at his gearbox shop, so that I could be around other people and learn things from other people who had more of an ability in certain areas than my father That I could grow and that I could learn from them. This is why I got to go to church and be a part of, I got to sit in on deacons meetings and I got to sit in on meetings with the pastor and I got to go over to people's homes for dinner because I needed to see other fathers at work disciplining their child, instructing their child, teaching their children something, teaching me something. One theologian says it this way, furthermore, I'll try to translate this as I go, in connection with this commandment, we must mention the sort of obedience due to superiors or authorities. People whose duty it is to command and to govern. For all other authority is derived, it's brought out of and developed out of the authority of parents. Where a father is unable by himself to bring up his child, he calls upon a schoolmaster to teach him. If he is too weak, he seeks the help of his friends and neighbors. If he dies, he confers and delegates his responsibility and authority to others appointed for the purpose. Parents, it's okay that you're not enough for your children. In fact, it's supposed to be like that. There's supposed to be other people that you rely upon to help you bring up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's good that you would also allow others to speak into your children's lives, to bring them up in discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now you'll notice in there that that author also brought authorities into the picture. Um, Here in Ephesians, Paul is making a very specific argument, and this specific argument goes something like this. At the top of all authority is the emperor of Rome, and underneath that emperor of Rome you have fathers and their households, and when Rome says, do this, fathers, you are to do this, and... When a father says to the mother, Mother, you are to do this. Children, slaves, you are to do this. This is the way that society works. But the argument Paul is making here is that actually, God is at the top of this. And that fathers, you are to respond directly to God. And as you lovingly instruct and discipline those under your authority... You are also to pass down love through this this cycle instead of just authority and demanding and loyalty to this emperor who doesn't actually care for you. So what Paul is making an argument for here is a household structure similar to what we were talking about when we were talking about God's first people that fathers, you're supposed to teach well so that your household is well-ordered. And if every father does this, and especially if all the parents team up together and they raise their children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, that community will be solid. And so on and so forth. And so we, we could go on and we could dig into Romans chapter 13 where we read about... Um, uh, the Lord placing into authority those that are in the government, those that are above you. And it's this. Paul is telling us in Romans that we are to be obedient to those authorities. We read the same thing in First Peter. And yet we all know that sometimes those authorities are not that great, that they're corrupt, that they are abusive. And the same can be true in the household. Which is, why also, which is why always we are, to be, we are to be concerned first and foremost about what it is that God desires from us and for us. Now, if we really wanted to talk about authority, though, we have to be reminded that it is because of Jesus that God is our Father. And we can now properly honor parents and authorities. See, what Jesus does is that when he dies on the cross for you and for me, and he makes his father our father, when he makes God our father, (laughs) he sets us free to know who the true source of authority is, whose words matter most. And he sets us free to then love parents, even parents that are broken. To obey to the best of our, um, to obey in ways that don't go against God's word, to the best of our ability, parents, even if they are broken. And authority structures, even if they don't work, (laughs) and it's frustrating, and you waste time and money on them. That. We're there to be obedient to them. And we can be free to do that because we know that there is one who claims all of our obedience and gives us all of our righteousness when we know that we aren't obedient in all that we do. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, which we read together quite often. And being found in human form, um, I'll... Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's just see this for what it is for one second. Jesus becoming obedient to the point of death. He's not becoming obedient to a cross. He's not becoming obedient to a mission. He is becoming obedient to His good and gracious Father. Where we read other places that from before time began, they had a plan. (laughs) And that this plan would take place like this in Jesus on your behalf and my behalf, chooses to be obedient to that plan. To the point that we read in the Great Commission, um, this is Jesus sending out his disciples, that he says, all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus himself is that highest authority. And in the here and the now, it is because of him that God is our Father and we can properly obey those authorities that are above us.